Welcome to the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast, bringing you bi-weekly discussions designed to help you grow your business and create the lifestyle you desire. Elevate your business with proven strategies from virtual CFOs, CPAs, and business advisors. We discuss real-world challenges solved with actionable steps that get you the results you need both in business and building the life you deserve. Thank you for joining us for episode number 115 of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast brought to you by PJS and Co-CPAs. I'm your host, Megan Spicer, and today I'm excited to bring you a very interesting guest. We are excited to welcome a globally recognized expert on positioning and pricing for larger agencies. He's also the author of Positioning for Professionals. Please welcome to the show, Tim Williams. Thank you. Yeah, pleased to join you. I'm very excited to have you. I was trying to remember before hopping on here where we heard your interview first. And since then, I've listened to a couple different interviews that you've been on. So I can't remember the exact first one. I think it was Businessology. That sounds like a likely suspect. Yep. Yeah. And then, of course, I read your book after hearing that. I think we first found you back in October or November of last year. You have a lot of really good information, I think, for business owners, I mean, at any point, but especially those kind of at that tipping point of really big growth. And I love your input and your perspective on deliberate growth. And that's really the focus that we want to have on today's show. And the reason why, let me just start there, is because we obviously work with a lot of growing businesses. We work with a lot of business owners that are at that stage where, well, we were doing really good. We felt like we knew what was happening at 1 million, 2 million, 5 million. And then it really took off. And all of a sudden we're like at a hundred percent growth and we're just struggling to keep up with meeting the demands of delivering on these things. And now all of our processes that used to work with us at this size aren't working, or maybe our positioning that worked for us at 1 million doesn't really serve us well at this point. So I want you to just kind of briefly, big picture, tell me a little bit about your perspective on deliberate growth, because I really enjoy your feedback on this. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, I think this is a really important question for professional firms of, of all sizes, because I think firms hit different points in time that are inflection points in their, in their growth. And so incredibly important for smaller firms, small independent firms, because as you've just said, what you want is deliberate growth. You want growth by de- by design, not by default. But I find, and you know, having spent my whole career in professional services and, and working exclusively in that space, I know so many professionals that feel like they just look back and the growth just happened. It wasn't anything that was planned or strategically designed they would just get calls and they respond to new business inquiries. And the next thing they know, they're, you know, 20 or 30% larger. So that's not such a bad thing to grow by 20 or 30%. The problem is that unless we're really conscious about the nature of the growth, we can become like a ship that collects barnacles as it goes through the ocean and they collect on our hull and and we don't know they're there and we've evolved into something we never intended we'll probably end up talking about this but the biggest issue there is unintended diversification 
we get a client call from a sector we have no experience in, but they are really interested in us. And so we figure what's the harm and we take it. And so we've expanded into all these other service areas and all these other business sectors unintentionally. And the result is that we w- woke up one morning and were this very diversified, full service generalist firm that is good at a lot of things, but not world class in any one thing. I think that's the biggest issue about growth that's not deliberate. Yeah, that's a great point. It's funny because as a business owner, right, we get so excited by that growth and yeah, sure, we can do that, especially people pleasers, right? Like we want to be everything to everybody. And we may have the capacity to do that, right? We're smart enough to figure it out. We could do that. But is that really what's best for the company and even ourselves personally? Because you stand back and you ask any business owner who has been through that transition and is saying yes to everybody and all the business that walks through the door, and how is their personal stress level? Mm-hmm. you know, in trying to manage all of that and keep all these plates spinning. Yeah, we've got to remember what clients buy when they hire us. We've got this because of our faulty compensation systems. They appear to be buying our time, which mm-hmm. is a ridiculous idea. I mean, ultimately what they're buying, my favorite all-time answer is expertise. They're buying our expertise. Right. Our years of experience solving business problems similar to theirs And so you can be good at something, but you can't be good at everything. And if you spread your attention, not just you as a business leader, but your team, if you spread your attention too thin in too many directions, then you are obliterating what your clients are seeking in the first place, which is expertise. They only care about one thing, not just expertise. They care about expertise in their category, period. That is all they care about. And so when we advertise a wide range of services, vast experience in a number of areas and industries and categories, that works against us because clients look at that and say, well, that that actually doesn't bolster my confidence. That worries me because they appear to be kind of a jack of all trades. What I care about is expertise in my category, solving my problems. And so that brings us to the to the most difficult question for most professional service firms, which is the best way to grow is to narrow your focus. Completely counterintuitive. The more things we do, the more services we offer, the more doors we have open, the more we're gonna grow, bigger we'll get. The opposite, the exact opposite is true. And the successful firms are those that have enlightened leaders who understand this principle and who keep their teams focused on specific areas of expertise that makes their firm a brand in demand. That exactly right there, you hit the nail on the head. And that focus is so hard to keep, especially for those those people that wanna say yes to everything. And one of my favorite quotes that I remember hearing in, in one of them, and I apologize that I don't remember where this came from, but growth, is hazardous to business strategy. <laughs> yeah. And it definitely can yeah. be, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I coined it. I'm sure I probably borrowed it, but I certainly believe it because you said it up front. We get so distracted with rapid growth that our focus on our processes become less selective, less careful. And so therefore it becomes an impediment for us because we become 
unintentionally diversified and becomes harder and harder to attract the kind of business we want. Yeah. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into this intentional growth because I know you define and differentiate healthy and unhealthy growth. And I know Mm -hmm. it has a little bit to do with, you know, taking the wrong clients and that type of thing, but let's talk about some of the situations that you've seen and maybe some things to keep in mind to help avoid that unhealthy growth. Yeah, not every dollar is a good dollar. Um, There are good clients and there are bad clients. My friend Ron Baker has a a maxim that bad clients drive out good clients. And I think that's true. We have this mistaken notion that, yeah, they're not a great client and nobody really likes them. And they, they, you know, deflate the enthusiasm of the firm, but they keep the lights on. Right, Right, right. That's a pretty, that's a pretty lame excuse for a bad client that demoralizes your team. So that's an obvious form of of bad growth. The other is, and I guess I keep coming back to the same theme, is growth that is from areas that you really don't know well and not that interested in. The, The criteria for prospecting for new business in some firms is, you know, anybody with money, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> to my mind, we've got to have very well-defined criteria for who is a prospect and who's not. And at the very top of the list, is this a client that is in a sector to which we can bring value through our expertise? And if not, then we're just going to be hired to be a pair of hands. I asked the question, would you rather be hired for your head or your hands for what you know or what you do for your your knowledge or your ability to do things. There's a lot of firms that can that, that can execute. Mm-hmm. But to have the strategic d- discipline and knowledge and depth in a particular sector, that's where the margins are. That's where firms can make money that are good dollars. Yeah. And I think one of the perspective shifts that helped me in seeing this better, because it is hard to say no to business, right? As a business owner, especially when you're starting off or you're smaller or you in a, are in that growth phase where you're kind of struggling, it's so hard to say no. But in saying yes to these accounts that are coming to you that maybe you would just be the doer, right? It's more data entry or whatever it may be. You're also saying no to the other potential opportunities that are out there where you could serve somebody in this higher capacity and use your brain in a way that you enjoy and work with the clients that appreciate and value that input that you have. So I think that was a good perspective shift for me in that you're also saying no when you do say yes to something. Yeah, that's right. right? That's right. And and I, I like the idea that your firm is defined by the clients you don't have. Mm. Yeah. And the sectors that you don't serve. That's what defines your firm outsiders will look at your client list and they say, wow, not only are these companies that I've heard of and that have a a reputation, so that speaks well for the, you know, for the accounting firm or the consultancy, Mm -hmm. but also it's notable this firm appears to be, you know, pretty focused. They, they know what they stand for and I'll be in good company here. Again, this is the counterintuitive part because we want this big, long diversified client list and all these sectors. Yeah. You talk to a prospective client and it has the opposite effect 
uh, than you think it would. It, it actually worries them instead of uh, encourages them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that can come too from maybe you have good clients, great clients even, and they ask you, well, could you just handle this for me? Could you handle this for me? And then pretty soon you're doing everything for that client when maybe it would be better to take a step back and say, well, why don't you hold up a minute? Why don't you hire yeah. an outside firm to handle that or this? Or you know, how else can we structure this so that I'm not your go-to for everything because then it takes away from my ability to best serve you in this capacity. Yeah, absolutely right. And the value you bring that we as professional firms bring to a client relationship is in, uh, I'm going to introduce two terms that I really quite like. I wish I had coined them, but these, uh, this idea of we're in two different businesses, the magic business and the logic business. So mm -hmm. magic is the um, problem solving, innovation, ideation, strategic planning piece where we add you know, tremendous outside expertise that clients couldn't do for themselves. The logic business is the implementation, execution part of what we do that is important, got to be done well. But that business is much more commoditized. There are many more providers. It's under a lot more price pressure. And so part of the challenge when it comes to growth, deliberate growth for your firm is to keep your firm in the magic business as much as possible, because that's where the margins are. I love this quote. There is margin in mystery, oh, right? There, I like there that. Is margin in mystery. So if we do mysterious things, if we do things that are scarce and hard to find, you know, what's scarce is valuable. And, and it doesn't matter that you're a small firm in a small city. It doesn't matter. The fact that you do something that cannot easily be found elsewhere is going to attract clients from thousands of miles away. I hear so many firms say, well, we're at a disadvantage because we're not in New York or Chicago right. and you know, we're, we're only 30 people. And I think, well, so what? It doesn't matter. No. If you have the ability to offer something that is hard to find, you know, anywhere in the world, you're going to have a national, international clientele. Mm -hmm. This is, again, the counterintuitive part, because we think, well, what I want is I want a big footprint and reputation in our market that is going to attract a lot of clients. And hopefully someday, if we try hard enough and we're in business long enough, we'll get these big name clients that our, that our mothers have heard of. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not how it works. If you try to be a full service generalist, the only clients you're going to get are those in your own zip code, in your own backyard, because you're not doing anything, anything special. You're not doing anything that can't be found down the street. Right. If you do something rare, that's where you get the, the national, international clients and reputation. Totally agree. And this is where I want to dive into your expertise and positioning a bit and talk about value propositions, because I think this is important to define this for your company. And I want to ask you too, if you feel like a business that at one point, you know, they had a value proposition, maybe when they were smaller, and now they've kind of grown to this bigger phase, could they go through a new iteration of revamping their value proposition? Or do you feel like they need to stick with that old one? No, absolutely. I think they're comes a point in time for a lot of firms where it's time for a fresh look back to the barnacle analogy. They've accumulated all these barnacles on the ship 
that they need to just stop and scrape off from time to time because they've accumulated without looking. So yeah, I think that's just good um, practice to do every four or five years regardless. Plus, I think the world of technology is having such an impact on our business models that if for no other reason, we need to take a fresh look at our, maybe not our core strategy, but you know the way we bring that to market within our firms. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point because we've been virtual. Just I'll take our firm, for instance, mm-hmm. personally, since 2015. And that used to be a really unique thing, right? A virtual CPA firm, virtual CFO yeah. firm. Wow. That's so different. And then COVID hit and everybody. <laughs> so sometimes it's not even that your own company goes through things. It's the outside world. And you keep need to keep your head up and out and look at, okay, what is happening in the world around me? Because that can change how you make yourself unique as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, plus, and maybe this is where you're going, the positioning business strategy is one side of the coin, but closely related on the other side is your pricing strategy and your revenue model, because that's going to have an equal impact on your ability to grow. So you've got to have a focused positioning strategy, know what you stand for, well-defined markets and service offerings. But unless you know how to monetize that, you're not going to ever really reach your potential. I don't know if you want to go into this topic, but the inability of professional firms to innovate their pricing beyond the hourly rate is a real obstacle to to growth for most of them. I think that's a struggle for a lot of service-based businesses, right? So yeah, Yeah. let's talk about that because it's always kind of been this hourly, you know, okay, I worked six hours and then you're expected to break everything down by in detail because the client then wants to know, well, what took you six hours? And then you get into this whole debate and yeah, it's, it's a, It's been a struggle. Well, it's a big topic. It could occupy many podcasts, but let me just try and frame it this way. We're talking about a business model and answering the questions, what markets do we serve? What services do we offer? We then also have to have, as part of our business model, we have to have a revenue model. And I submit we don't really, in professional services, we don't really have a revenue model. We have a cost structure. Yeah. Adding up the time that was spent by your associates on a piece of client business and sending the, the client a bill is not a revenue model. That's simply a reflection of your costs. You know, your hourly rate and your salary costs are internal costs that have nothing to do with what ought to be your price. So our clients have revenue models, right? right. Apple has a revenue model. Tesla has a revenue model. All of our clients have Innovation and creativity, they apply to the question of how should we charge for products and services? Well, meanwhile, back, you know, in professional services, we're stuck in an industrial age paradigm around cost plus. You know, we're going to take our costs and that'll become our price. Well, uh, why is it we can't apply the same innovation, creativity to pricing? Well, we can And there is now underway a pricing revolution in professional services where we see many firms moving away from the concept of selling time. We see a lot more productization. We see monetization of intellectual property, licensing, subscriptions, 
output-based pricing, things that have nothing to do with what goes on a timesheet. And these firms, not coincidentally, tend to be the most innovative firms in terms of what they do and the services they provide. They also are innovators when it comes to their revenue model. So to me, if you cannot scale a labor-based, hours-based business, that, that is an unscalable business model because the only way that you can uh, add more revenue is to add more people. Well, that's right. not scaling. The idea is to be able to add more revenue without adding more people. That's scaling. And G Google knows how to scale because their average revenue per employee is $1.3 million. Wow. In professional firms, our average revenue per employee is $150,000. Yeah. I mean, th that, that explains the difference between a scalable business and one that's trapped on the hourly rate treadmill. And so we've got to get off that treadmill to be able to scale our businesses. Because I know part of what you want to talk about is our ability to afford good talent and retain them yes. and be competitive. Well, we can't do that as long as we're dependent on the hourly rate structure. We just we have a self-imposed profit ceiling that we will never break unless we are willing to move away from the hourly billing model. Yeah. And I love how you have touched on this in the past as far as, and I think that ties in really well, the revenue model and bringing that up even higher to the business model as a whole and being that responsible business owner and making sure that you can take care of your team and you're yeah. not just pulling all of these people in and they're going to hit a ceiling and you know what what happens then if they're talented they're going to find somewhere else right you're not going to keep yeah. talented people for long our clients can offer more money and the right. reason they can is because they have scalable business models and we don't you can do the math of what your maximum profit for the year is you take the number of people times their number of possible billable hours times their hourly rate there there is the absolute maximum profit you can make from the, for the year. That's a ridiculous notion. If you think about it, what other business would put a, a limit on their profitability, but we do. Yeah. Uh, this is all goes back to the, to the growth and the good growth question. If you can give your firm the wiggle room, the elbow room to not always be sweating out, well, this person, they're only 73% billable and we might have to let them go because they need to be 90%. I mean, we just sweat through these decisions. I'll pick on Google again because I've got all their math here. I mean, they would never sweat about that. I mean, they don't, they don't do timesheets to begin with, right? So yeah. they're not looking at their employees through the lens of, well, this person is not very productive because I, you know, their timesheets right. show this and that. They make subjective judgments about this is a valuable employee or it's not. Mm -hmm. Which is hard to do. It's hard to step out of that. Oh, this is the way it's always been done, especially. Sure. And this is the last point I want to bring up with you because I know you have some good feedback on this too, because as owners in service-based industries, a lot of us are doing client work in addition to trying to lead the company and do business strategy and all of these things. And it's very difficult to make a transition into this innovative thinking and come up with new revenue models and make sure that our business model is sustainable and all of those things when we're also trying to 
deliver monthly packages yeah, to our yeah. clients and make sure that yeah. they're happy and meet with our clients on a daily basis or weekly basis or monthly. You know, it's it's just too much for one person to handle and there's no creativity left in your brain. <laughs> True <laughs> enough. And that comes back to the we have no we have no wiggle room, financially mm-hmm. speaking, where we run our businesses on very tight margins and everybody is allocated to the dollar against client business. We don't give ourselves the mental permission to innovate. So just quickly, some of the firms that that do have innovative revenue models, they have the attitude that every year we place a series of small bets on ourselves, knowing that some are gonna pay off and some aren't, meaning we're gonna approach client relationships differently every single time we're going to take a different pricing methodology with every client we're going to test and learn and over time we're going to get better and better and better and some of the risks will pay off and some won't in some cases we'll look back and say that was really stupid we you know that didn't work and in some cases we'll look back and say that was fantastic yeah but over time over time through the test and learn you earn twice and this is not hyperbole twice the margins of firms that are trapped on the hourly rate treadmill. And so then, then the leaders of the firm, you give yourselves the permission to say, okay, I don't need to be on the front lines, so-called 90% billable. I can spend more of my time working on the business instead of in the business. So I like what you said about placing those small bets and you know, sometimes they're going to be great, sometimes not so great, but it can be really difficult, especially if somebody has a process, it's working, it's not the greatest, but that's really scary, right? To make that change. Do you have any advice for getting someone to take that first step? Because that's usually the hardest one to take. Well, I think it's if you change your paradigm, uh, it's like saving for retirement. You're not going to put all your money in one thing. You're not going to do all one thing. You're going to diversify. You're going to consciously have different levels of risk and reward mm-hmm. in your retirement portfolio. We make the argument that that a firm's pricing and compensation portfolio is exactly the same, same concept. If it's all one thing, like all your money's in gold, you know, all one thing, it's just billable time, just that, no diversification whatsoever, you're going to earn really below average profit margins. If you mix it up, if you diversify, you have lots of different kinds of revenue streams and different levels of risk and reward, then you're going to get an overall better return on a profit margin, just like you get a better return on your investments as saving for retirement. The same principle holds true. So I think that helps. If you wrap your mind around that and say, okay, I can see that. I can see how purposefully diversifying my investments works. So that actually that holds true in the way we price our services. And so therefore that again, gives you maybe a little bit more permission to experiment and test and learn and not sweat it out from month to month so much. Yeah. I think that's a great analogy and it's something that, I don't know, I take from my own kids, you know, watching them experiment with things. And we kind of lose that when we become adults, we become so afraid to make the wrong choice that we just don't experiment at all, right? We'd rather do something that we know over and over and over again, even though it's not working that well, than branch out and try something new. Here's a big thought that I find really motivational. It's Peter Drucker who said, 
all profit is derived from risk. All profit is derived from risk. So just just stop and ponder that for a minute. So if we run from risk, then of course we're going to limit our profit, our ability to grow. If you want to make more money, you got to take more risk. That's just how it works in business, in life. So to view risk as an economic positive is a big shift in mindset for most professionals. Mm -hmm. But that's exactly the way to think about it. We shouldn't run from risk. We should embrace, embrace it and view it as something that can have a really positive impact on our firms. We spend so much time trying to completely avoid it, to build this risk-free environment and this risk-free firm and risk-free client relationships. Right. You know, just cover our costs. You know, we don't we don't want to rock the boat. Well, that's yeah. nonsense. You know, you got to rock the boat and inject a little bit of risk or you're never going to do big, important things. I think that's a great ending <laughs> to this whole conversation. Like that wraps it up perfectly. Right. And if people are interested in hearing more from you, I wish we could talk more. I could talk to you all day about this, but Is there a place that you'd like to direct people to go? I know you have a monthly blog that's really great. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about where people can find more from you? Sure. Our website, ignitiongroup.com, where you can subscribe to Propulsion, our monthly blog. Also, the book that you've uh, referenced, uh, Positioning for Professionals, has a lot of what we've talked about today, and that's available on, on Amazon. I'm on LinkedIn. I write quite a lot on LinkedIn as well. So I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. And I I learn, I'm a student mostly of the business. So I learn a lot as I go and appreciate all the connections I make. So I appreciate you inviting me on the show. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much, Tim. And for real, check out that book. It was great. It gives so much good information about positioning, pricing, a lot of really good things to consider if this is something that you feel like you need to revisit within your business. So definitely check that out. It's available on Amazon and I'll go ahead and link all of these things in the show notes for this episode, which can be found at pjscpas.com forward slash 115. And I'll put that monthly blog link in there as well. So you can subscribe and get more information from Tim. He's a wealth of knowledge and we really appreciate you being on today, Tim. Thank you. Great. Thanks very much. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Keep the momentum going and we will see you next time. This has been another episode of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, rate, and review. Gain access to additional free resources and learning opportunities by visiting pjscpas.com forward slash podcast.